Alrighty. Let's open up our Bible this morning to Philippians chapter 2. As we continue this great study through this book, this morning I want to draw your attention to verses 14 through 16. And of course, Paul the Apostle writing here, he says, do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The Philippian believers were a group of Christians who were genuine disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, Not because they claimed to be, but because in their obedience, as you remember Paul had said they walked in, you know, their, their obedience to the word of life, they were proving by their obedience that Jesus Christ was truly their Lord. You remember in the gospel, Jesus said, why call ye me Lord and do not the things that I say? I have to admit, I find that strange why people do that. But nothing's changed, has it? A lot of people still do it. But these guys were different. These guys, genuine Christians, genuine born-again believers, genuine disciples. And you know what the word disciple means? It means student. Someone who genuinely, you know, I've heard people, because they've gotten away from using the word Christian, maybe you've run into people like that. They say, well, I'm a Christ follower. And that's cool, I understand that, but are you? That's the question. Because in order to be a Christ follower, you gotta do what he says, Amen. That's what these guys did because Jesus was the Lord of their life. You know, Paul told them to do all things without murmuring and disputings so that they could be genuinely blameless and harmless as the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom they shone as lights in the world. I love that. You know, we're shining as lights in the world, holding forth the word of truth, the word of life. It's the only thing that has light to it. Everything else is darkness. It's always been said, if you want to combat darkness, what do you do? You turn on the light. And we do that by opening the word of God, by adhering to the word of God, by following the word of God. and Not just, not just reading it, as James says. Don't just be a reader, don't be a hearer, but be a doer. Somebody who follows it. Today there's an assault on the word of God, as you probably know, maybe you've noticed, against the authority of the word of God and against the practicing of the word of God. The main reason, of course, for this assault uh, is because many people who fall into that, that category who claim to be believers do not grasp Really, I believe the power of the word of God. They just don't understand it. They don't get how powerful it really is. Thus, they regulate the word of God to the sidelines of their life, to the sideline of their worship. Or, unfortunately, some people eliminate it altogether. In reality, it's because they do not understand the emphasis upon which God has placed on his word. God himself has placed an enormous, an enormous 
enormous emphasis on his word. But according to scripture, God has never done anything, and I want you to get this, God has never done anything outside of his word. It's all been through the word, all of it. Thus, the word is power. There's power in the word. The word of God is powerful, it's quick, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. In fact, the scriptures tell us in Genesis that God said what? Let there be light, and there was light like that. I couldn't even snap my fingers fast enough that, the, that everything obeys his word. Let there be light and there was light. In John 1.1 1, 1, it said in the beginning was the word, the logos, the incarnate word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Now there's a very interesting passage in the book of Psalms 138. If you don't know it, please write it down. Commit it to memory. It's verse 2, and here's what it says. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Wow. Think about that, gang. God has magnified his word even above all his name. That's a pretty high place to be, amen? So I present to you that if God himself magnifies his own word above all of his own name, where then should you place the word of God in your life? In their ministry, the Philippians were a group of Christians who were obviously dedicated to the word of God. In their ministry, the Philippians were a group of Christians who loved the word of God. We know that they were dedicated because they were obedient to it. We follow, we obey the things that we hold the highest, the things that we believe are the fact, the truth, you see. And that's what they did. Not just when the apostle was present. Remember, he told them they were obedient to the word, not just when I'm present, but more so when he wasn't. And I believe the reason that they were was because they magnified the word of God above all else that they were doing. So often, we can get so caught up in doing things for God, you know. Unfortunately, within the body of Christ today, philanthropy has been replaced, or let me rephrase that, ministry has been replaced by philanthropy. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of good things being done in the name of Christ, but not necessarily in the power of the Holy Spirit or according to his word, you see. So people begin to do nothing but good things, but in reality, you know, they're, they're not really doing it, being motivated by the word of God. It's quite a different story today within professing church. There's those who give no credence to the word of God at all. And they give no obedience to the word of God. I could name, it would take me a month of Sundays, I believe, to name all the names of men who have written some of the most disparaging things. And I'm talking guys who stand behind pulpits, who say the most negative stuff about the Bible. It blows me away one can only conclude that it's because they no longer believe it's the word of God. 
Many of them believe that it is a book about God, and they believe that's all it is. Not a book from God about his son, Jesus Christ. But scripture is clear. As Paul wrote to Timothy in regards to where the Bible came from, and one of these days I am going to do I keep saying this because I, and the only reason I hesitate to do a thing on textual criticism and, and what textual criticism is basically is where we got our Bible, how we got our Bible, why you can trust that book that you're holding and why we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is the inerrant word of God. There's an actual science and we call it textual criticism. I spent 15 years studying that. And while it is useful, many people, unfortunately... Uh, can get caught up in it. So I hesitate to do it sometimes because it's such a lengthy thing. But we do want to understand it enough that we understand that we can trust the Bible because there's an onslaught against it today with many of those in the ministry who would actually disparage people from believing and trusting in it. When Paul wrote to Timothy talking about where the Bible came from, here's what he told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There you have it. How simple that is. How complete the word of God is inspired by God. Now the word inspired there in the Greek is a very interesting word. It's theopneustos. means to be God-breathed. God literally breathed his word of life through the men who he had chosen to write it. Now, I believe it's important that we understand what inspiration actually means because a lot of people don't. A lot of people, they hold that book, they read that book, and even if they truly believe the book, they don't really know how they got the book. And it's important that we know that. Timothy says, you know, to Paul, I mean, Paul said to Timothy that it was inspired now, there are those who think that the men of God, whoever wrote the particular book you're reading, some people think that they sat down at a desk and God kind of dictated to them. Here's what I want you to say, my son. What was that again, Lord? In theology, we call that dictation theory. And it's not accurate. It's totally not right. It's not the way it worked. It's not how it was done. Paul telling Timothy, he said it was inspired. It was God-breathed, theonoustos. So in 2 Peter, we have a great explanation as to what inspiration, how it works. And he says there in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Oh, that makes a lot of sense to me. I love that. Even in this statement, Peter corrected one of the main arguments that most unbelievers, and unfortunately some people who claim to be believers, the argument that they hold against the Bible. And that is, is that it was written by men. You ever heard that one? Well, that thing is written by men. Because men are flawed, therefore the Bible's flawed. Well, you're right, men are flawed. I would even go a step further, they're wretched. That's what God says about them. They're evil continually, not from their birth. So it's even worse than being flawed. Yeah, you're right, they are. But it had no effect 
by the word of God. Peter says that the word came not by the will of man. I love that. It came not by the will of man, but holy men wrote or spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Ghost spoke through these men, inspired them. God breathed the word of life through these men in a process using their person, if you will. Through them, you know, their, their intellect, their personality. God used all of that. And yet, ended up with a work that you're holding in your hand that is inerrant and perfect in all that it proclaims and teaches. Every time I've taught on this subject, and I've done seminars on the Bible, I always tell people, I said, if you took five people at random and you asked them to write one paragraph about something that is as complex and in some cases confusing as the nature of God and you read that after they wrote it, I'll guarantee you it would look like a comic book because to find five people that would agree on the nature of God would be quite a task. And yet, and yet, that book that you're holding in your hands covers a span of years of 1,500. Over 1,500 years, three separate continents, my friends, at least 35 different authors, and yet is totally consistent when discussing the nature and the purpose of God. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. So it's a miracle that you're holding in your hands. God breathed. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. God breathed through these men, using all that they were, but yet produced something that was absolutely perfect in all of its precepts. Peter said it was God breathed, it was, it was not by man's will, but it was by God. Holy Spirit moving upon these men. Paul said that it was good for correction, for maturing the believer. If you ever wondered why there is a lack of maturity in the body of Christ today, that's it. It's because they're just not in the word. Only those who hold forth the word of God as the sole means of their worship and their practice are mature in their understanding of God. And I have to tell you, my friends, I, I'm telling you, this is the truth. Out of all the 40-some years I've been a minister, I have never run into anybody who simply read the Bible and believed it, who was messed up. I believe it. I'm telling you, it's true. Even theologically, I have rarely run into somebody who just simply read and believed the Word of God that really didn't grasp even basic theology, if you understand what I'm saying. Why? Because it is so simple. If you just read it, read it. Don't cherry pick. There's a vast difference between the two. You ever seen somebody do that? They get up in the morning and they go, let me see. And they look. And they wonder why their life's messed up. Listen to me. That Bible you hold in your hand is a set of letters, 66 to be exact. They're letters. And here's the way you need to read it. 
If you're going to start, if you want Corinthians, read Corinthians from the beginning. If you use an electronic Bible, here's what I would tell you. Remove the chapter and verse. Chapter and verse is not scripture, okay? It's helpful for remembrance and those type of things, but sometimes it's created more problems than, than it helped. But just remove the chapter. Read it like a letter. Here's why. If, if I told you guys, hey, the Lord's called me to a mission work. I'm going to be gone for a couple months. I'm going to Texas because they're in dire need. And here's what, you know, I'm going to be there. And I'm going to be preaching. And anyway, so I go. And after a month, things really didn't work out. Actually, God had said no, but I thought he said go. So I went and I went anyway. And after I got out there, the provision wasn't there. So I find myself starving. I know it's hard to believe by looking at me, but just play with me here. And I find myself getting hungry, and I think, you know what I'll do? I'll write, I'll write Marilyn. She'll help me. So I get, I get, I get my pencil out, because it's the last piece of pencil I got, and I'm down to my last penny, and I write, Dear Mom, you know, I got out here, and, and I admit freely, it, God said no, but I thought he said go. You know, but... Uh, you know, you know, in the beginning, everything was going great, yada, yada. And then I turn it over. But now I'm starving. I really need some help. If you can help me out, please. And I fold it up and I send it. And I give it to my last dime. I buy a stamp and I send it to her. And in one day, she's out there painting a house like she's been known to do. And she sees the mailman come, so she climbs down the ladder, which she's been known to do. And she goes and gets the mail. And she says, oh, look, Doug sent me a letter. And she opens that letter up. And she's going, you know, my paintbrush is drying. Okay? So she goes, well, I'll just read it quick. And she starts, she reads the first page. She goes, oh, you know, and I start saying, well, Mom, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. everything that actually started off really going good. Oh, everything must be fine. She folds it back up, goes back to painting. I'm going to starve to death <laughs> because she didn't finish reading the letter. Do you get my point? So often we can come to the wrong conclusion of Scripture because we simply do not read it in context. Remember, any text taken from its context becomes a proof text for a pretext. It's a little, little thing, a little meme in theology, but, it, but it's right, it's correct. So you want to read it from the beginning. You want to absorb all that's being said in its context. That way you come to the proper conclusion. And when you do that, then you're going to be like the Bereans. Then you're going to be like the Philippians who hold forth the word of truth, the word of life, because it makes sense to you. You know, it, it would take me a month of Sundays, like I said before, to, to cover uh, in sermon form all the aspects that encompass the necessity for not only believing the word of God, but for understanding the word of God and for teaching the word of God. It's safe to say, though, and I don't think it's superfluous, to, to, to say that nothing in heaven or earth has ever been done by God apart from his word. It just never has been. The apostle Paul said that even our faith that we have didn't come without the word of God. Now, I know some listening to this maybe by radio, and they go, well, Doug, doesn't, doesn't the Bible say in Ephesians 2, 8, that for by grace are you saved through faith? That not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Absolutely it does, you're right. But how did that gift come, my friends? The Bible also says, read on, my friend. The Bible also says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So without hearing the word of God, you never would have believed on Christ. 
And if you never would have believed on Christ, you never would have received the faith that God says that to whom every man has given the measure. So everything comes by the word of God. Nothing happens outside of it. The Philippians understood that. And because they understood that the word of God was inspired, uh, it was good for doctrine. It was, it's good for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness in order that we and they, as we're reading, might have become perfect or that more mature in our walk, thoroughly furnished to do all that God has called us to do. Thus, they shone as lights, Paul said, in a corrupt and perverse world, holding forth the word of life. I like that. In the Gospel of John, there in chapter six, Jesus had been talking to his disciples about being the bread of life which came down from heaven. It's a great chapter. I encourage you to go back and read it. And he had told them that the children of Israel had not received the manna from Moses, which they always gave him credit for. You know, Moses gave us that manna from heaven. He said, Moses did not give you that manna, but my father, which is in heaven, he is that manna. He gave that manna. In reality, Jesus went on and to say that it represented the true bread of life, which had come down from heaven, which was Jesus himself. He said, I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. And this rocked them. If you go back and read that chapter, it rocked them to their core. You mean the world? No, no. The disciples, it says that. The disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And then it goes on in that chapter. It says, and from that day forth, many of his disciples followed him no more. Here's my point, my friends. You would assume that those who claim the name of Christ believe his word. But even at the time of Jesus, not all those who called themselves disciples listened to what he had to say. Because then Jesus turned to the 12 and he said, will you leave also? And they said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. That's a disciple. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and what? They follow. There's no other place to go. Where am I going to go? Take me outside the word of God. I'm lost. I am undone. The only way I have to know God is through his word, by his word. It is the bread of life, my friends. And the Philippians, they knew that. They believed it. Any true believer, any person who has genuinely given his life to Christ loves his word. And that's my job as a Bible teacher to wet your whistle for the word of God, to prime the well of your life. Say, man, just get into it and read it. It's amazing. You can't make this stuff up. How it's intertwined and how this verse connects to that verse. And it's just amazing to me. And I, you know, I've been teaching it you know, from behind pulpits and on radio for 30 better years. And today, every time I open it up, it still amazes me. I'm still blown away by how amazingly intricate and tied together it is. Like I said, there's many who claim to be disciples of Christ, yet their, their word really has no place in them because they freely interpret, they retranslate things in order to, as Peter said, they twist and distort as they do the rest of the scripture to their own destruction. 
in order to just make it say what they want to say because they're busy building their kingdom and not the kingdom of God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, they follow. True disciples, my friends, like the Philippians, are those who, like Peter, would simply say, to whom shall I go, Lord? Thou hast the words of life. One of the greatest privileges, and I mean this sincerely, that I've ever had as a pastor and a Bible teacher is to be a part of the establishing of Calvary Chapel, Newark. And the reason I rejoice in that is that Calvary Chapel, Newark, was formed not by me. That would have been Calvary Chapel, Zanesville. I was absolutely a part of that establishing. But not this one. This was a work of God, and, and how do I know? Because there was a group of people who for years, and some of them many, many years, had labored faithfully in the United Methodist Church. But as the denomination continued to get farther and farther from the revealed word of God, it began to embrace doc- the doctrine of inclusion that included not just the practicing of homosexuality, which the Bible tells you in Romans 1 and 2 is strictly forbidden by God and condemned by God, but the ordaining of pastors who practice such things. Because the denomination had ventured far away from the word of God, it began to reason like the world And it came to the conclusion also that abortion, the murdering of innocent children, was okay in certain cases. And even touching the nation of Israel, they moved to a position where they said, you know, maybe maybe the land's not all theirs. And they began to take a position that was in negative against Israel. When God said, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. These believers, both men and women, many of them after many years of faithful service, finally stood up and said, no more. No more. but with one voice, just as Joshua did before the children of Israel. They said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to do it according to his word. I'm proud of that. If I can use that word, if you allow me to say that, I'm proud to be the pastor of those who have done such a thing. Normally, splits are not good. But in these people's case, It was right, and it was just, and it made a a vocal point that other people could rally around. And you guys, like Paul said to about these Philippians, he said, you know what? He said, you guys shine as lights holding up the word of life that I might rejoice in you on the day of Christ. I relate to that because I too on the day of Christ will say, you know what? 
I've been in ministry a long time, Lord, and I appreciate every moment you gave to me, but especially the last one. And I mean that sincerely. You know, we're coming up on a one-year birthday of this church. And we have a lot of people that's out sick. We have a lot of people that's not here today but for one reason or the other, but listen to me. They're all still united in that. Isn't it amazing how the Lord, if you will take a stand for his word, will bless his word. He will honor his word. And he will add to the church daily as he sees fit. What a blessing it is to be a part of that. I love Philippians. I love that Paul said, look, I want to be proud of you guys. And I can say that too. I'm proud of you. You know, what an honor it is to be a part of what God is doing. God has given us his word that we might hold it forth in a perverse and corrupt world. That we might shine like lights in order to draw those who are lost in trespasses and sins to the author of the word, to the incarnate word, which is Jesus Christ. So let us, from now on, my friends, let us move forward and let us preach the word with confidence and with power being obedient to it, encouraging others to be obedient to it, and those who don't know Christ to encourage them to give their life to Christ and to be obedient to him and not only call him Lord, but genuinely obey him as Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it was inspired by you, Lord Father, that you breathed it into existence through the men that you chose. We thank you, Lord Father, that your word says in Genesis 18, 19, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And Lord, we know that if you inspired it, that you also preserved it. And Lord, you have empowered it, that if we will simply speak it, that Lord, you will draw all men to yourself. Lord, bless these people. As we approach that one year mark, Lord Father, of what you have done, Father, place it in their heart. Let them never forget, Lord, Father, why they did what they did. Remind them, Lord, that it's your word that you're honoring. And because you honor your word, Lord, Father, you will bless them. And while every head is bowed, everybody's praying. My friend, you who are listening to me by radio, the Bible says that if you will believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you will confess him, then God will save you. If you simply acknowledge that you're a sinner, my friend, you know where you stand with God. And I know that you know that that's not good at the moment, but it can be. If you just acknowledge yourself as a sinner, confess the Lord Jesus Christ, believe, then you too shall be saved. I want to encourage you to do that today. When you see this stuff happening in the world, I know it looks crazy, and it is, but listen to me, there's an answer, and it's Jesus Christ and his word.
So repent, my friend, and believe the gospel. It's just that simple. Do that today. Well, the Lord bless you. The Lord make his face to shine on you. As you guys continue to read this week, continue to read through Philippians. It's a great book. It gets better as we go through it. So this Wednesday, I hope to see you uh, via Facebook and to keep everybody in prayer that needs to be in prayer. We'll see you next time. God bless you.